0: want to tonight to consider some passages in Revelation where we read of the Apostle John who was one of Jesus' disciples when he was on this earth and this man John he had a vision on an Isle of Patmos, it was a place called Patmos and we read in Revelation in the Bible that John saw many visions and recorded many things for us for our learning So in my readings the last couple of weeks, I've been going through some of the chapters of Revelation, and I want to, for some short time tonight, think about that Revelation that John had, and what that means for for us as Christians, and maybe as even non-Christians as well, as we anticipate Christ's return, and in some ways galvanise some encouragement for us to think about what our purpose is here on earth, and what we've got to look forward to and what it means for those people who don't know the Lord Jesus as their own saviour. To give a bit of an overview of some of the chapters I've been reading recently, from Revelation chapter 19, we are going to read some passages in a minute. Revelation 19 verse 1 to 2, John says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He's avenged on her the blood of his se- servants. Then, skipping to chapter 19, verse 5, then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. To me, it seemed it may be shocking that the cause of celebration. Is judgment as well as salvation from the, from this passages. The two go together. In God's word we read of how God judges his, his enemies, but he also saves people. There's various instances in God's word, the Bible, where God saves people, whether it be people like David and Goliath, who where David conquered Goliath, and he was a great Philistine and he conquered the Philistines and God brought about salvation for the Israelites that day. But in this passage as we read in Revelation, we're talking about something that is talking about how God will justify, will justly judge and will overthrow all evil. But there's good news, which is something to celebrate, which we'll go into in a minute. This passage that we read in Revelation It looks back to the fall of babylon and that we read in chapters 17 to 18 but it like i said it also introduces salvation and judgment in the remainder of chapter 19. from verse 6 to 7 of chapter 19 of revelation john has a vision of the wedding and that wedding as we as christians believe as those who have accepted jesus as their own savior and become part of the church the body of christ we as believers are the bride of Christ and we are going to be united to Jesus who is the bridegroom. And John, no doubt, tries to encourage the churches in Asia, the seven churches that we read of. And in chapter 19, we come to this vision that he has of the wedding, which to me will be an amazing, glorious day. The best day of our lives as a church. As the church, the body, all those believers who are ever... Alive or dead, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be united with Christ, and our relationship between Christ will be the ultimate personal and close relationship. And what a prospect that is. John had the vision of the bride of Christ making herself ready, as we read that in the Bible in this in these passages it says that the fine linen of the bride's garment is the righteous acts of the saints. So, as believers, we read in Ephesians 2, verse 9, it's by grace you've been saved. That's the Apostle Paul who said it to the Church of God in Ephesians. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But even though we're saved by grace alone, by everything that God has done, his favour towards us, we still have to do good works. And these, I believe, are the righteous acts of the saints that we come to in verse. In these verses in chapter 19, we're brought into relationship with God because without Christ we were enemies of God so by our own very nature of, of being sinners we're separate, separate from God but because of the good news of salvation which is Jesus having come to this earth to die on the cross um, for those of us for those who accept him we will have a, a glorious hope to look forward to and that's Being united with Jesus one day. We're not saved by our own good works, but we're saved by the good works for which God has prepared for everyone to do that we should walk in them. And that reference is found in Ephesians 2, verse 10. These good works are given us to wear, as John saw the bride of Christ adorn herself in this vision. We will read some passages. I'm just kind of skipping through at the moment because, of, for the sake of time. From a wedding we come to a war, to a vision of the ultimate war and destruction of God's enemies. In verse 6 to 7 of 19, Jesus Christ, God's son, is described as the rider on the white horse who is called Faithful and True. It's quite a vivid image that John had there and the reason it's there in scripture is for us to enter into what John was actually seeing that day. The Lord Jesus described as a rider on the white horse who is coming with judgment. In a nutshell, Jesus is the fulfilment of all the Old Testament promises of the King coming one day to judge, to overthrow his enemies and to establish his eternal kingdom. If we can just turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, please. One of these prophecies we read. I'll read from verse 1 actually. Verse 1 of chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then skip into verse 10. In that day the roots of Jesse will stand as a banner for for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnants of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath and from the islands of the Mediterranean. So that, that verse in Isaiah is talking about a prophecy about Um, a person who would come from the branch of Jesse. And for us as Christians, thankfully we believe that that's the Lord Jesus. And he was a fulfilment of those Old Testament prophecies. The prophecies were saying that he would be coming to judge and he will one day ultimately judge the whole world. And it's going to be a fearful thing for people who haven't believed in him or who have heard the word and have rejected it. And I want to think about those thoughts and our responsibilities as Christians today a bit later. Other references uh, if you're taking notes is Isaiah 49 verse 2 and 63 verse 2 to 6 and then also in Psalm 2 verse 9. Psalm 2 verse 9 reads, we, be, we believe it's talking about the Lord Jesus. You will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them to the pieces like pottery. So Jesus, he, although he is described in God's word as we know that he, a lov- he was a loving man, he was sinless, he was compassionate. There's also the other side to the Lord Jesus which he is described as one who is coming in judgment, who will judge the world and we can praise God that we, who have believed in the Lord Jesus, although we'll face judgment for what we've done in our lives of service, we're not going to be separate from God because we believed in the Lord Jesus. In chapter 20 of Revelation, it reveals God's plans for dealing with the evil of his enemies. That is the devil, that is Satan, who as we all know, was this angel cast down from the beginning who's Lucifer and wreaks havoc on this earth. God's plans to, re- to deal with evil, sin, death, and anyone who rejects his rule. And one day, the devil, thankfully, will be bound and he will be powerless to stop the veil of deception that's being lifted over the world at the moment. Chapter 21 is the part of John's vision where John sees the Holy City, we read in chapter 21. Holy City, the new Jerusalem, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is making all things new. Thankfully, Jesus is making all things new. And for a believer who actually accepted Jesus as their own saviour, they become a transformed person they become a transformed product of God's grace, and that's amazing. And ultimately, one day, when Jesus comes back to this earth, he will make all things new. And in that new city, in that new Jerusalem, in heaven, there'll be no impurities in that city. God has got a glorious future prepared for for everyone who has accepted Jesus as the saviour. So believe through faith, through a prayer in their heart. I'm not going to go into it tonight, but in chapter 21 it talks about how um, that John talks about the names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that, as we believe, is all the believers, whether alive or dead, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And who's the Lamb? And the Lamb is the Lord Jesus, is Jesus Christ. And I just want to carry on tonight by thinking about the coming of the Lord. And when, I, when we say the coming of the Lord, maybe it can seem quite distance, distant because we're humans and God is above and he doesn't operate on our, our, our time system. And is it to me, is it something that I look forward to? Is it something that excites me? Is it something that grips me and captivates me? Ultima- ultimately as well, it should challenge me as well. I want to, for a short time now, consider the last chapter in Revelation that John writes down for us. To give a bit of contextual information before we read Revelation 22 for some verses there. John as we know um, was exiled to the island of Patmos when he wrote this letter to the seven churches in Asia and most scholars believe that the seven churches to Asia whom John writes were experiencing the persecution that took place under Emperor Domitian in around AD 90 to 95. This to me gives a tremendous weight and complexion to the book of Revelation in these chapters. As John, it seems, seems is trying to encourage the believers in the churches in the midst of difficult and tumultuous times where their faith was undoubtedly rocked and undermined, under, under attack, where they were facing all sorts of persecution, even persecution that Christians face today in other parts of the world. And the believers had to stand firm to the end, and John's vision, I believe, would have stirred their hearts and hopefully encouraged them as they looked at the prospect of their glorious future with God, their their Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus, their Saviour. So can we read Revelation 22, starting from verse 6, please? The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may may have the right to the tree of life and may may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The spirit and bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Kind of impressed on me in this passage. It may may sound like a simple thought, but the words coming soon, those two words coming soon, they're emphasised three times in verses 7, 12 and 20. I don't know about you, when I think of coming soon, I think of pretty imminent. Maybe you can become I can become too impatient. I think if someone's coming soon, I think they're coming now or very shortly. Perhaps at times I don't, and perhaps at times we don't exercise one of the fruits of the Spirit, which we find out in Galatians 5 and 22, which is patience. After all, like I said, God's, word, God's ways are not our ways. And to me, what goes against the backdrop of this passage in Revelation 22 is a passage that um, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, in his, uh, his letter to the church in 2 Peter 3 verse 1 to 10, which we'll read. It to me gains, gives to me a fuller appreciation of God's perspective when we think of this whole grand subject of, the Jesus, of Jesus coming back to earth. So let's read 2 Peter 3 1 to 10. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised, ever since our ancestors died. Everything goes on as it has has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, friends, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's a very sombre thought in verse 3. We read that scoffers will come following their own desires. There perhaps are many so-called scoffers today who perhaps maybe reject the Bible, reject Christians' messages of hope through what Christ has done on the cross. Or even maybe it's fairly a little bit innocuous in the sense that, it's, that they seem a bit indifferent to when it comes to their recognition of being a sinner or being right with God and the fact that by our own human nature that as sinners, we're separated from God. Some people perhaps follow their own evil desires, yet some people, although they're moral, upright citizens in this world, they think they don't need saving. I was actually struck by uh, one of the, a prayer that my dad gave out last, last uh, he prayed last week He talked about how um, people can be caught up in their own righteousness, even though maybe they're living a perfectly maybe harmless life, moral life, doing good works. And that to them maybe seems like it absolves themselves from all responsibility of hearing the word and the fact that they need saving. Isaiah 64 verse 6 reads, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags so there's no, nothing good that we can do and there's nothing good that can save us and in god's eyes they're like filthy rags and peter was saying that the people at that time they'd forgotten that god had created the world and that they'd refused to believe in the divine creator a divine being a living being so in the relation, in relation to the coming of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus, we don't know the specific time when the Lord Jesus will return, and we shouldn't try to predict his coming as some have in the past to their embarrassment. What we do know is that it's a promise that's contained in the Lord in the Bible the Lord, that the Lord Jesus will definitely come. <coughs> that verse, that, those verses in First, Second Peter, again talks about the whole time frame of God which is in relation to ours. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So really, maybe the church has only been waiting over two days, perhaps, in God's eyes, We don't, we, don't, we can't really enter into it because God doesn't operate in our own time frames. We can trust God. We can trust God in his future grace. John Piper often talks about that future grace, which is trusting in the future promises, and everything that he gives us to sustain us in the here and now. One promise we've just read in Second Peter is that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Peter says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. To me, that massively shows the heart and the love of God, that he shows mercy, and he doesn't want people to perish, and there's a responsibility of myself and us as Christians to... Trying, in our own way, collectively or individually, to try to share that good news and to know that God does actually love people, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've come from, He loves them. And God, as we know, he's, he doesn't slumber, He never sleeps, He's not lazy. I love that uh, verse in First Peter, where it says, he's not slow to, slow concerning his promises. And in that, in the the new King James version, another version says, "He is not slack concerning his promise." So that shows that God isn't slack. He knows, He knows what's happening, where and when. And one day, Jesus will come back to this earth, and will be united. The church, the body of Christ, all the believers, living and dead, will be united with Christ. And how glorious that will be! He's a compassionate God. Do I have a genuine love for people who? don't know Jesus as their own saviour. I wish it could be more of a love. I wish it, I wish it could be more of a genuine love. Because if it was, I'd be on the streets every every day if I could to, to witness. I'm not going to go into massive doctrinal subjects like predestination. But even though God chooses may, may choose some people in Christ and not others, which we can't really get our heads around, That to me should never ever stop me from telling others about Jesus. Because that's not our call to make. Because God is sovereign and he loves everyone and he doesn't want them to perish. And we can praise God and thank God that for us who are saved, we've got that glorious future to look forward to, united with Jesus. 1 Peter 3 verse 15, same Peter who wrote that second letter. We'll just read it now. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defence to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. To me, that's a responsibility on myself, on us, to always be ready to, to, ask, to give a reason for the hope that's in you. We have a hope, as, as Christians, we have, a, we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And we've been thinking about on Sunday evening about hope for humanity this world is corrupt, it's full of bad things and Jesus is the one who can cheer our souls and he's the hope that's given us and we should be ready to share that to people who want to find out and even if people don't, aren't receptive to it, we don't know what God has in store for those people for eternity because we might not see it on this side of eternity, people professing salvation but the word that's been said to them, either big or small, It could have an impact. We need to be drinking in of Christ every day. That to me is a challenge in this busy life, in this busy rat race we call it sometimes in work, in the working arena, um, getting refreshed in the Lord Jesus, in his word. Revelation 21 verse 6 says, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus is that spring, he's that source, he's that life, he's that source of blessing. The water that Christ gives and offers, that's a free gift which emphasises God's abounding grace. I just want to finish now with a challenge as we consider this encouraging subject of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We read in Revelation 22, in verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. <coughs> let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. I've really come across those verses before, or maybe skipped across them. But we said earlier that scoffers will come. People will continue to do wrong. They will cele- they'll celebrate um, reveling in sin, as um, Steve talked about, the celebration of sin at the moment in this world. But we as Christians are the direct antithesis to that. We're here to do what is right, to continue to do right and be holy and be faithful to God, be faithful to the Lord Jesus as we wait for the coming of Jesus. It's easy to be buried in the humdrum of day-to-day life and perhaps forget or go to the back of our mind everywhere where we're heading, everything that's coming our way. It's amazing. Let's pray and I'll pray that the return of Christ will invigorate us. It would fill our horizons and we would look forward to it just as a bride looks forward to her bridegroom and the bride being the church, the body of Christ, looks forward to the bridegroom, which is Jesus. So let's stay faithful to him in obedient lives as we see the day of the Lord approaching and the joy of the Lord as we see him who loved us unto death and that to me should characterise my own experience in the here and now and we remember that God is not slow in keeping his promise, that he's not slack and it's a promise that's in his word that will ultimately fulfil one day, we'll leave it there